Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, and we have three very interesting guests joining us today. But before we get to our guests, I want to talk with Lou and see what's happening last week, next week, news items. Lou, how are you doing up in New Jersey? Uh, good, good. Uh, thanks for the intro. Uh, why don't we get to it, because we uh, have a long show today. Um so let me get to last week's show. We had uh, Max Christensen from airfreightbid.com who discusses the importance of an efficient supply chain using air freight transportation as a mode. Uh, it's a new platform, and uh, I think you'll find it very interesting, and you might be able to save some money using their service as well as uh, having efficient transportation of your goods. Uh, we also had uh, Charlie Spies from CEI Capital Management, who has created a rather interesting uh, uh, organization uh, that uh, preserves jobs and um, creates using new market tax credits for, uh, for quality of life in rural areas, low-income communities, and uh, they really specialize in the poorer communities to get tax credits for people to start uh, organizations. So I, I think that being that most of the country is uh, rural, uh, if you're in the rural, you ought to find out what Charlie has to talk about. It was a, it was a great show, and uh, you, I think you'll find it most interesting. News. Uh, the big news item that I have uh, for today is that uh, sometime this week, supposedly Wednesday, President Trump is issuing a directive uh, to boost apprenticeships for expanding industries and certified programs. Uh, it's, it's a very important uh, uh, issue that is uh, will help our uh, our supply chain. It'll help our skill gap, and it'll help uh, kids, teenagers, and so on to learn new skills uh, and not be so much concerned about perhaps college uh, and running up debt. And uh, it's uh, it's a very important topic. And uh, the issue with that is that uh, the only problem with it is that uh, Mr. Trump in doing this directive, it looks as though he's going to be dumping the training programs from the federal uh, level to state and private. I guess the question then is, who's going to pay for this? You got it, us taxpayers. Uh, the Perhaps a tax reform program might help also if we could bring back some of the offshore profits of major U.S. corporations and allocate those profits that come back to apprenticeship training. And therefore, it's paid for by corporations who have taken their profits and left them offshore and put them into the 
uh, apprenticeship programs, which is where most of the complaining comes from about not having enough skilled labor, uh, will be paid for by major corporations. So it's, it's kind of interesting. We'll see what happens this week. It's uh, supposed to happen uh, this coming Wednesday. So we'll see how that how that fares. Uh, next item, and this is not so much a news item as an alert. Cybersecurity. There's so much attached to cybersecurity and so many things that you don't even hear about in the mainstream media, and that is that cybersecurity mainly is looked at to protect data, data in corporations, data in uh, machines, data in robots, but there's also another aspect, and that's employee safety. And if the, excuse me, if employee safety isn't uh, viewed as an important topic, you're sadly mistaken. You can have a machine that may go wild as uh, in relation to a cyber attack to your machines, and your employees will get hurt, injured, loss of life. So one of the this is a continuing hot topic. We've done a couple of shows on this ourselves. Uh, we probably will be doing them in the future. But I strongly recommend that you Google it and go look for cybersecurity as it relates to employees. It's something that you should be looking into and looking for perhaps uh, consultants that may uh, be able to help you with this if you don't have your own uh, personnel to help you with that. Uh, that said, uh, Jay Timmons. President and CEO of NAM, National Association of Manufacturers, again and still is urging members of Congress to support President Trump to spend $1 trillion in investment to fix our roads, our highways, our bridges. Uh, we have a terrible situation going on in, in our country right now. Uh, New York State, however, has really picked up on it, and I've actually, uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've written a, written a couple of the new bridges that they've uh, in, uh, installed and constructed in New York City itself, and they're they're fabulous. They're they're modern, they uh, very safe, and this is something that uh, the federal government really has to jump in on. I know that the president is very busy with many topics, but we now have to get get to dealing with the real issues that pertain to all of us citizens. Uh, that said, uh, Tim? Thanks, Lou. Uh, yes, as it relates to cybersecurity, keep in mind that we also have a global perspective with Dr. Adriana Sanford, who is also on uh our, our channel, so check out those shows at mftalkradio.com. And tomorrow we have a special show with Norbert Orr and Chong Wang, who are reporting on uh, Asia for Chong and some 18 different PMI surveys followed by Norbert Orr. So tune in for both of those. So I guess you're just going to have to come back to MFG Talk Radio daily because when we're not posting shows, we're posting news articles every day. So keep in touch with us, and now let's get to our guest. Well, one, one more moment, Tim. One more moment. Okay. Next week's show, 
we, we, this is really going to be a shocker. Next week's show, we're going to have Jerry Flum and Peter Roma from Credit Risk Managers. They're a leading financial information analysis service, and they've got an incredible story. I've, I've had two discussions with them. I don't really want to give, give too much away. They have an incredible and factual story about the next financial bubble that's coming. So I'll leave you all on the ledge on that one. Tim? Yes. Think uh, 2007-2008. We could see the same, if not worse, 2017-2018. Hold on to your hats. We don't discuss that anymore in this show, and we're going to be talking with Chad McCray next, but uh, tune in next week. And now let's get to Chad. We're speaking with Chad Lutre, who's the chief economist for the National Association of Manufacturers. He joins us once a month for our global show and speaks on both his Monday morning report and also his uh, their Thursday economic forecast that they do, both excellent reports. I'd like um, all of our listeners to know that Manufacturing Talk Radio endorses the National Association of Manufacturers as a quality information and action organization for the manufacturing industry. If you're not a member, you really seriously should consider being a member. They put out terrific information. Chad, welcome to the show. It's always fun to be on your show. Thanks for inviting me again. I, I enjoy these monthly talks. I understand. <laughs> yeah, I understand that you've got a summit going on tomorrow, and I would like you to share with our listeners what that's all about. That is really some high-powered stuff. So we once a year we we do an annual fly-in, like a lot of associations here in Washington D.C. And uh, this is the time for our members to go up to the hill and talk to their congresswoman, congressman, senator, et cetera, uh, and really kind of hit home, you know, what policies they, they think we should be adopting. So we're obviously looking at tax reform, regulatory reform, and infrastructure, and a lot of other fun stuff. Uh, but the key the key thing, and what I was saying to you offline, was we have a lot of heavy hitters speaking at the, at the summit this year. Uh, tomorrow at lunch, uh, we have, uh, uh, which is Tuesday, we have, we have uh, Vice President Pence and uh, Speaker of the House uh, Paul Ryan speaking. Uh, and then on on Wednesday we have Labor Secretary Acosta and uh, Kevin McCarthy, who's the House Majority Leader. So um, nice to have some heavy hitters uh, out there listening to what manufacturers are thinking, and certainly we're looking forward to hearing from them. I know that the press is really promoting Paul Ryan's speech, which is supposed to be on tax reform. So uh, uh, the lobby should be a lot of press coverage as well. So they're actually going to wind up talking about substantive situations. Uh, we hope so. Yes, that's the intent. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, that's great. That's great. Uh, wish I was there. I'd love to uh, be present. Well, it's still it's still not too late. You should, uh, grab a grab a plane. Uh, fly out fly out here. We'd like to see you in person. <laughs> is that a is that a congressman senator's fly in or a media fly in? Any <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyone and everyone, right? Um, so. Okay. Thank you. So, Chad, the uh, Fed decided to kick up the uh, interest rate, which is probably a good thing, because if they get a downturn somewhere down the road, they need some wiggle room. Uh, do you think it's going to have any significant impact on manufacturing? Well, you know, I think, uh, you know, part you know, it's kind of a mixed bag, let's just put it that way. I mean, I think for the most part, the Fed is, is normalizing rates. That's their phrase. 
uh, recognizing that we've seen some progress in the economy. Right? You know, the unemployment rate's 4.3 percent, the lowest we've seen in 10 years. Uh, we've seen better consumer spending data uh, data of late, and 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 overall, the economy's doing a little bit better. Uh, and so, we, and we have historically low interest rates, and so I think it's time for them to start creeping those higher. Uh, so they've raised rates now for the third time in just since the since the recession, right? So we raised it rates in December, March, and now in June. Uh, I would expect them to raise rates again one more time, potentially in, in September, although I think a September increase will really hinge on what data comes in between now and then. Um, and I, I think the other thing that the Fed did in, at their most recent meeting, and I, I think it started to get a little bit more attention, they've been talking about it for a while, um, is that the Fed, Fed's balance sheet uh, is over $4 trillion, almost $4.5 trillion. Um, this is somewhat controversial a couple of years ago. People don't focus on it as much as they as they did at that time. But uh, the Fed's balance sheet never exceeded a trillion dollars prior to the to the financial crisis. And so, with all of the quantitative easing that took place, the Fed's balance sheet ballooned to over four trillion, and they're going to start winding that down gradually, starting this year. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I would expect it maybe to fall to around three trillion dollars, you know, a year or two from now. So I think. Um, that's a big thing. I think it also will have some upward pressure on interest rates. So all of that's, I think, a good thing. It's certainly a sign that the economy is doing a little bit better. From a manufacturing perspective, obviously higher interest rates means higher borrowing costs. Uh, and the bigger impact, I think, is the fact that the dollar uh, is the impact on the dollar, right? So we've seen the dollar, uh, we've talked about this on this show, appreciate you know 22% since June 2014. Uh, and, and a large part of that is, is, is what we're doing in terms of monetary policy versus what other countries are doing. Uh, I still think even with that, that because we're seeing better economic growth globally and not just in the U.S., that I think some of that dollar pressure will start easing as we get into 2018 and 2019. But, but there's, there is still that challenge out there that, that strong dollar is a, is, a big, is a big headwind for a lot of manufacturers. That's a long-winded answer to your question, but um, <clears throat> I, I'm taking it – I'm taking the – the uh, Fed's actions in a, in a positive sense at this point. Uh, Chad, I have a long-winded question, and I'd like to go back a page or two here. Uh, you, you mentioned that it seems to be the, uh, the number that everyone is talking about, and that is the 4.3 uh, unemployment, and that uh, it's the lowest it's been in 17 years. And if I'm not mistaken, it's pretty, that's pretty close to, quote-unquote, uh, full employment. If that's the case, why why is the news media, which you have no responsibility for, and mm -hmm. our politicos in Washington, which you have no responsibility for, why do they keep talking about the fact that we need we need jobs, and uh, it, it just doesn't it doesn't jive. The math doesn't jive. Unemployment's at 4.3, lowest in uh, two decades, and they say we we need jobs. The way I see it, we need more skills and yeah. more people skills, but not necessarily more jobs. I, I go around uh, uh, in, in the state of New Jersey, and I see uh, wanted signs. I, I see bus companies with yeah. uh, uh, wanted signs on the back of their buses. What are they talking about when they say, we're going to bring back jobs? I don't get it. Well, I think I, I, you, you definitely bring up a good point, and, and, and it's certainly one that we have talked about even on this show, uh, and that is that skills gap workforce development issue. This is one of the top issues for manufacturers right now is the inability sure. to attract and retain talent, right? That um, 
that uh, every one of them is complaining about it. I know in, in our survey, it rises pretty top to the top. Even the NFIB survey, which has traditionally had taxes and regulations at the top of their list of, of most pressing problems, uh, uh, the workforce thing rose to number two in this last survey. So I think you're seeing an awful lot about that. Uh, we actually had, I don't know if you, if you saw that last week, the JOLTS survey, the Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey, had job openings at an all-time high uh, in the in the U.S. economy, exceeding six million for the first time ever. And so, certainly there is a, a lot of lot of help wanted out there. <laughs> Hiring has not been as, as as fantastic as the job wanted postings, right? But but certainly I right. think that's that's a sign that you're right. That a large part of it is a skills mismatch that we need to kind of match up that a little bit better nationally. Um, with that said, I think you know. Let's let's be honest about the 4.3 number, right? Uh, yes, it's approaching full employment, uh, but we still have a, a fair share uh, of people who are discouraged, uh, who are uh, part-time people who want to work full-time, uh, and, and uh, the so-called real unemployment rate, which is called U6 in the BLS data, is is 8.4, right? So about double what the what the uh, reported unemployment rate is. And so there still is a bit of slack out there in the labor market. Participation rate is not what we would like for it to be. And so there still are some but, labor market issues even even as we approach quote unquote full employment. Well, I appreciate your pointing at the U6 number because uh most of the mainstream media they don't talk about that. You rarely ever hear it. And the U3 number is the one who gives the accolades to the president. Um, and uh, we all know that it's not the real number. So we, But I still don't think that we've got a, a job problem. We have a skill problem. And uh, that's, that's the unfortunate part, which is only going to get worse unless we do more training and more uh, uh, promoting of vocational training and vocational skills. Uh, which is something that we at Manufacturing Talk Radio, we talk about a lot. And uh, there, there are a lot of people that are very much uh, becoming aware of this. And, and so I'll, I'll use that uh, that statement because I agree with it. I'll, I'll use that statement as a plug for something else that the NAM is doing. Uh, you know, we have something known as the Manufacturing Institute, which is a 501c3 attached to the NAM. does a lot of stuff on, on, on research and, and workforce issues. And they're having a workforce uh, symposium at the museum in Washington, D.C. on July 11th. So if you're interested in that, um, you can go, uh, approach the Institute or reach out to me, and we can, I can give you some information about it. That would be terrific, and I also happen to love the museum, uh, museum <laughs> rather. Uh, it's, it's a junk, uh, news junkie's uh, favorite <laughs> hangout. <laughs> I, I, it, it is a fun place. It is a fun place. I look forward to you sending me that info. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, I think it's an important piece of information. Chad, I want to uh, point out the uh, expected GDP for 2017 and 2018. We have a uh, another economist who joins us frequently on the show, Norbert Orr. We've had Brad Holcomb on from ISM, and both have said that 2.0 is about to break even in manufacturing for manufacturers to want to invest. When it gets above 2.0, they're comfortable. When it's below that, they're not necessarily comfortable doing capital investment. What does capital investment look like from the perspective of the NAM going forward for a while? So we uh, we actually have seen overall capital spending increase. You've seen that in my, in my quarterly survey. 
Uh, we have a new survey, which we're going to get be releasing very soon. I, I, I don't know when, but but very soon. Um, and I, without stealing my embargo on it, I'll, I'll just I'll just say that the numbers for capital spending are very strong in there, which is which is great. I think it's a sign that the overall outlook remains a, a pretty healthy from from man, from a manufacturing perspective. H hiring also looks pretty good, uh, and so I think that that's obviously a nice a nice. Um, change of pace from where we were. Uh, if you even go back to the first quarter GDP data, uh, one of the bright spots really was that non-residential fixed investment was, was re really the strongest we've seen in a while. Uh, overall in the economy, we're seeing stronger spending on structures and equipment, right? So that number was a lot weaker than we would have liked, only 1.2% growth in the first quarter. But business spending was actually a nice positive in that report. Uh, I would expect that to continue when we get the data for the, for the second quarter which should come in around 3% growth, uh, uh, a nice rebound from what we had in the first quarter. Uh, for the year overall, I, I, I actually see the U.S. economy growing around 2.2% this year, 2.3, uh, 2.4 next year. Um, all, those numbers, ha especially next year's, have the potential of, of going higher if we get some policies here in Washington, like tax reform or an infrastructure package. But for right now, I'm still kind of in that, in that low to mid-2 range for GDP for next year. So four percent is an unlikely likelihood. Yeah, I mean, I, I think three percent three percent is probably something that we could achieve with, with the right policies. I think four percent is a bit of a stretch. Maybe you can get it maybe on a quarter or two, uh, but I think getting an average for the year to be four would take an awful lot. Chad, uh, just to kind of wrap this up, uh, you had mentioned that consumer spending seemed to be a bit more positive of late, and I would love uh, for our listeners yeah. to hear uh, what the NAM reports on that. Well, I, I said that, and, and I think what, what, the reason why I made that statement is, is you have to compare where we were at this point last year, right? I think we're, we've seen relatively okay. modest growth overall in consumer spending. Um, to be fair, um, to be fair, you know, most most Americans were pretty cautious in their consumer spending at the beginning of 2016. As as 2016 wore on, uh, you saw an increased willingness to open up their pocketbook, right? You actually saw really robust growth in uh, December, for instance, in, in terms of retail sales and, and personal spending. Um, so far this year, we've actually seen a little bit more caution than we would like, especially in in motor vehicles. Uh, and that's really pulled down retail sales numbers, including last week it pulled it down. The numbers were relatively disappointing for May. Um, hopefully that turns around as we get into the June data. Still the numbers are positive. So you're still seeing modest growth overall for consumer spending, and that's a nice positive. Uh, but uh, it has been a bit more disappointing, I think, than we would like in terms of retail spending for the 2017 so far, especially in the auto segment. Um, I'm still optimistic that auto sales will, will be over 17 million units by the end of the year, but we've seen weaker data, I think, on auto sales um, than I think certainly the auto sector would like to have seen. Yes, I'm sure that they uh, definitely would like to have seen that. And just uh, a quick note on housing start. How is uh, housing doing right now? Well, housing numbers are also pretty disappointing. Um, I, you know, we were expecting to see a number that was over 1.2 trillion, excuse me, not 1.2 trillion, 1.2 uh, million. <laughs> that trillion would be, a, that would be a stretch, right, Lou? Uh, so 1.2 million, so. <laughs> million housing starts. Instead, we actually fell down again in, in May. Um, and so, you know, I'm not sure really what's behind that. I think uh, the consumer is, was a bit more cautious than we would have liked. 
You're also continuing to see uh, overall inventories of homes for sale uh, that have been pretty weak. Uh, the actual builders themselves have complained about uh, that, that workforce skills mismatch that we talked about earlier as well. So there's some issues going on in the housing sector. I, I still am optimistic that when we get to the year, end of the year, we're going to be over 1.2 million, maybe 1.25 million is what my forecast is. And so I, I think some of the slower, slower activity we've seen this spring We'll start turning around in the summer, and, and hopefully, we'll end the year in a, in a stronger note. But uh, if you're actually, if you've noticed this, you know, even anecdotally, if you see houses for sale, you know, so there's not as many of them for sale this year as, uh, as maybe in years past. The inventories are pretty low, and so if you're selling your house, it's definitely a seller's market right now. And uh, Shan, by the way, your new report is coming out. Does it have a name yet? We won't ask you to share what's in it, but does it have a name yet? Oh, oh so I was just referring to our, our quarterly survey, uh, the NAM Manufacturers oh, okay. Survey. So hope, hopefully it will come out soon. It's, it's been it's written. We're just finding a good opportunity to get it out there. So hopefully you'll see it very sh very shortly. And when it is it does come out, it'll be on nam.org/outlook. Slash Outlook. Okay, great information to know. Chad, thank you for joining us again on Manufacturing Talk Radio. We always appreciate your insights. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you, Chad. Okay. Bye. And we've been speaking with Chad Lutre, who's the chief economist for the National Association of Manufacturers. We always encourage our listeners who are manufacturers to join the NAM. They are an excellent organization for information and action. Do a lot of work in Washington, D.C., and keep the pressure on to get tax reform, regulatory reform, health care reform, and push on the skills gap and apprenticeships. And we'll be right back. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. Elevate your career and stay ahead of the curve with EISM. Brought to you by the Institute for Supply Management. EISM is the first on-the-go lifestyle-compatible learning initiative in the industry. It features hyper-short 15-minute modules and guided learning courses that can be completed in as few as three weeks, just right for you or your team. It's the world's largest one-stop online learning shop for supply management. Register today at ismelearning.org. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment, components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials? 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. 
Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. In this segment, we are joined by Dr. Chris Keel, who is with Armada Corporate Intelligence. We were fortunate to meet Chris at the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International Conference a couple of years back. Found him a very entertaining economist, which is kind of an oxymoron. And we're always glad to have him back on the show. Chris, welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Well, thank you very much. I love being an oxymoron. I mean, that's the name of my company <laughs> Armada Corporate Intelligence, and if that isn't an oxymoron, I don't know what is. <laughs> uh, yeah, oxymoron. Are you from Washington, D.C.? <laughs> no, fortunately. You know, there they don't even notice that they're oxymorons. They think it's normal. <laughs> this is true. This is true. But it, it is my hometown, so let's be kind. I, I will, I will. But you escaped. That's the important I'm, thing. I'm I did. sorry to hear that, Lou, because now it's your fault. It is my fault. <laughs> you it and is. my wife say the same thing. <laughs> Look at the fine mess you've gotten us into now, Ollie. Exactly. Yeah, sorry about that. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay, what's what's a good word there, Chris? Well, we're experiencing a bit of a roller coaster. Yes, we've been experiencing a roller coaster of late, and it's all revolving around the same couple of sectors, which is kind of peculiar. Um, We had a really good month, and then we had a really bad month, and we had a really good month, and then this one was back to being bad. And it's not something that is causing a lot of, of concern because, as I said, it's revolving around two things. Those who have been listening to these missives patiently all this time know that the credit manager's index is divided into two basic categories. There are things called favorable factors and unfavorables. The favorables are things that make credit managers smile and make them happy. It's things like sales and number of applications for credit and amount of credit extended and, most importantly, dollar collections. Then you have the unfavorables which are things like bankruptcies and disputes and accounts out for collection and slow pays. The two sectors that have been kind of shifting back and forth month to month have been dollar collections and slow pays, and those are kind of connected. Dollar collection is just what it sounds like. It's the credit managers getting paid, so they're very happy when dollar collections go up. You will periodically have clients customers who are asking for a little more time you know they're not really at the point that you're going to start collections on them they're not even really in dispute category yet but they're trying to take a 30-day term and turn it into a 45-day term or a 60-day term we just need a little more time slow pays make credit managers nervous because they can go one of two ways they can either rectify and everybody catches up and everybody's happy, or they get worse and worse and worse. And then you start dealing with all the nasty stuff like collections and disputes and bankruptcies. So when you see those two move, you're kind of waiting to see what happens next month. So the first time this happened, the following month was, yay, people are catching up and there's not as many slow pays. And then it went right back to where it had been before, most slow pays, less dollar collections. 
So we're just not sure at this stage what this trend is saying. We suspect that companies had started to invest anticipating a better year, and now they're not getting quite the return they thought they would get, and and so they're asking for a little bit more time. It's like we bought the machine, we're ready to roll, but the consumer hasn't really started demanding yet, so can we have a little more time? So that's that's kind of the interpretation. It's not really bad news. Most of the other data is still pretty solid, but they've got this little nagging fear that we get two or three months in a row where those things don't look very good and stuff gets a little tense. Uh, Chris, over the years I've been following uh, numbers, you know, as a business owner for uh, All Metals and Forge Group, and I've tended to see uh, for example, with uh, the Institute of Supply Management, things, things don't normally go in one month up, one month down, one month up, one month down. It usually mm-hmm. goes in some kind of a cycle, two months, three months, six months up, two months, maybe three months down. But we're now beginning to see these uh, the choppy waters, and you don't we don't see that that often. Uh, is is that your experience as well? Yeah, that has been our experience, and this is what's making this a little bit peculiar because we, we're we used to the longer-term trends, as you say, and we will see in almost a year where things will slowly get better month after month, and then right. they start to go in the other direction, and you may get a slow decline. There will be seasonalities, and there will be months where you get movement that is kind of related to what's going on that time of year but Mm -hmm. this kind of every other month shift has been a little peculiar we're sort of looking at this as maybe a reaction to the beginning of the year where everyone was very very enthusiastic about what was going to come and there was a lot of expectation there was going to be tremendous change we were going to see deregulation and tax reform and Obamacare was going to go away and trade deals are going to be made and changed well, none of that really happened. We're not is happening at the pace that people expected. And I think the companies that anticipated all of this growth sort of made the decision to buy inventory, buy machines, you know, get ready for what they thought was going to come. Then when it didn't come, they're sort of treading water, scrambling a little bit, trying to say, well, I still think it's going to come but it's not happening as fast as I thought it would. So I need a little bit more time because like I said, they're, they haven't reached the point where, you know, they're stiffing people. They're not getting into collections. They're not even really having much in the way of disputes. It's really this, this kind of, yeah, just can I have a little more time? And most of the groups that are offering credit to buy machines or inventory, they're more than willing to work with a, with a customer because they want to keep them. But there comes a point where it's like, okay, you've had 120, 180 days. You need to start paying us. And right. and that's when things start to get ugly. So do you think, uh, from what I'm gathering, what you're saying is that this choppiness that we're uh, witnessing could be either a psychological knee-jerk reaction or uh, – because this only now started uh, this year since the new administration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there was a certain amount of 
we talked about it or the press and economists talked about it at the beginning of the year. They called it animal spirits. They were sort of like everybody was so shocked and surprised that the election turned out the way that it did. And everyone began to get very enthused. And we have had a uncharacteristic president because previously we're used to politicians not really saying very much and not promising very much. So you didn't get all that enthusiastic because they always hedged, they fudged, they mm-hmm. didn't want to be held to account. Then we have somebody that says, we're going to grow at 4% and I'm going to get rid of Obamacare and we're going to change all the trade regulations and all the deregulation is going to take place and tax reforms going to happen. And it's all going to happen in two weeks. And we're all like, wow, this is <laughs> awesome. We're going, to, we're going to change everything overnight. And we're used to kind of believing our leaders. And then six months down the road, we're like, wow, this isn't going to be that easy, is it? And, and I think reality has set in. And those companies that became a little overexcited are now rethinking and kind of going, oh, maybe I moved a little too fast. And so it's it's not that they've given up and it's not that we're on a trajectory towards recession, but all of a sudden it's it's going to be, oh, this may be a year or two or three before it changes. And And even that's being somewhat optimistic. It's just Every so often we learn just how slow this government can work. <laughs> because when these slower it's going to be going backwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, uh, you know, in the 1980s, the, the, the economy was fueled by credit cards largely. And in right. the 90s, it was home equity. And in the 2000s, it was a little of both. Um, and the dot-com stuff, what's driving it now, or is there just not enough gas in the tank? There really is kind of a shortage of fuel because we've not seen the traditional stimulus that we normally get because one of the other things that was taking place throughout the 80s, 90s, and the previous decade was a considerable amount of government stimulation. You had a lot of spending. A lot of it targeted at certain sectors of the economy with the intent that this would create jobs and make opportunities for growth. We didn't get that with this recession. We didn't have the money. We were already in debt. We didn't want to go further into debt. And so that goosing really never did take place. And so what's happening now is a much more kind of cautious sector-by-sector growth. We've been driven by automotive for a while. But that may be starting to fade. Uh, it's not that people aren't interested in cars, but most of us who wanted one got one, and the banks are being a little less generous with car loans. We had the home sector really driving things for a while, but housing is now starting to run into headwinds too. Uh, it's looking at higher-priced homes, which tend to price out some of the the new home buyers. Mortgage rates are starting to drift up a little bit. And we're also running into the same problem with construction that manufacturing has had, a shortage of workers. So all of those traditional drivers haven't stopped exactly, but they've slowed. And and there's really nothing that is coming in to replace them. Um, The consumer is out there. They're doing more in the last month than they did in the previous quarter, but it's still not the sort of profligate, you know, I must have this. I'm going to run my credit card up mentality. 
just to uh, kind of switch uh, tracks for a minute, uh, Chris, you just mentioned about a uh, shortage of workers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're also talking about the lowest unemployment in 17 years at 4.3. Right. Uh, so, and, and we have the deportation of immigrants going on right now. Uh, where's the sense of all of this? We, we need, yeah, we need, we need more people. We need to train more people. We don't have enough people. Unemployment is down. Uh, what's, what's the, what's the answer here? Yeah. I mean, we are in a sort of a strange position. We've not been here very often. We have about 6 million jobs available according to government records, uh, jobs that have not been filled for a number of months. We still have about 6 million people out of work, almost seven. So you would think we could just mix those two. You know, the 7 million people take the 6 million jobs and everybody is happy. The problem but, is the people who don't have jobs now don't have the skills to get the jobs that are available. They sort of fall into three categories in terms of why they're not in the workforce at this point. Overwhelmingly, 50% or more just don't have the education or skills. They can't get hired. They don't have the requisite talents. Maybe another quarter of them simply don't want to work at all. They're working in the gray economy. They don't really need to get a job. And then you've got a third that are just by choice out of the workforce for for now. You know, mothers taking care of their kids, people taking care of parents until whatever. The real challenge at this point is trying to figure out how to, to break into that $6 million. And, and get them into the workforce. And just today, there was an administration proposal on job training. And nothing really shocking, but it's, again, putting some emphasis on vocational schools, finding ways to help people pay to go to these schools, finding ways to accredit more vocational schools, uh, doing more apprentice programs. All of this has been demanded for years by manufacturers, construction many other sectors. So it would be good to see some of that happen. But you're absolutely right. Short term, we have to bring people from where they are. And that means more emphasis on immigration. And I think the challenge now is that we want certain people to come into the U.S., not everybody. You know, the last thing we need is lots and lots of people who also have no skills. But Mm -hmm. what we would love to do is, is go find all that you know, Brazilian manufacturing workers and say, hey, your country's falling apart. Come here. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> to, to just continue the point for a moment, uh, you know, we pulled out of the uh, Paris Climate uh, Accord, which actually will take about a year or two uh, for it to actually go into full mm-hmm. force. But the point is, you know, one – one group says we're going to lose jobs. Another one says we're going to gain jobs. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, one of the things that people I don't really think understood about the Paris Accord is that these, all of these rules and all of these things were advisory. This, this was never a treaty. It was simply an accord. So there's no legal binding to it. So throughout its history, it's basically been advice. There's no enforcement to it. There's no penalty for not doing what you say you're going to do. And what you say you're going to do is entirely up to you. There's no standards. I mean, the reason that had so many people or so many countries 
signing is that there were no real obligations. You could basically be in it without really being required to do anything, which Mm -hmm. the surprise was that we pulled out of it instead of just saying, well, heck, we're going to do what the other 147 countries do. Just ignore it. You know, we're in it. It's kind of like being in your homeowners association and you never go to the meetings. Um, (laughs) So I, I don't think it's going to have a big impact. Those states that want to pursue Climate change-oriented policies will continue to do so. A lot of the businesses said, this isn't about climate change. This is about us being efficient. This is about us not using as much energy. We're going to continue to do this just for cost reasons alone. So I don't know that a lot will change, um, but it, it sends a little bit of a, of a signal, which may not necessarily be a bad one, which is, why are we all members of something that really doesn't have any meaning? Because China can ignore it. India can ignore it. We can ignore it. Everybody can ignore it. So what's the point of being in it in the first place? So maybe that begins to galvanize people to say, if we're going to have an agreement, maybe it should have teeth. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Now, Chris, wasn't, wasn't it costing us significant dollars to – even be in it? It was not particularly expensive if you projected out what it was implying that we would do. It could be expensive, but most of what we had suggested was just that. It was a suggestion. You know, we might want to do this some point in the future. If we chose to pursue these particular policies, that was kind of our prerogative. I think the biggest job challenge in the whole deal was coal, and it was a determination on the part of the U.S. that we're going to reduce the use of coal. That really came entirely from the Environmental Protection Agency. The Paris Accords you know, were sort of a secondary. It's like if we do this, then it'll make the Paris Accords happy. But it's, it really came down to a decision as to what we were going to rely on in terms of energy. Was it going to be the traditional fossil fuels or was it going to be something else? The Defense Department has been arguing for years that we need to be more oriented towards renewables. They don't like the vulnerability that we have uh, when we depend on fossil fuels, even though we produce more now than we used to. But the Defense Department weighed in and said, you know, we're this is a national security issue. We need to be more attuned to solar and wind and geothermal and algae and, you know, Lou running on a treadmill for so many hours <laughs> just to, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, well, that won't be something that uh, I see anytime soon is me running on a treadmill <laughs> to generate energy. <laughs> Well, you never know. You can probably get, you know, that you can get your Fitbit powered up that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's about as much juice as I could generate. Go ahead, Liz. Yeah, there's actually a, a new, uh, relatively new uh, uh, energy form that's coming online. And the, the first country to uh, participate and uh put it into play is Norway. They Mm -hmm. have what they call uh, wave technology Mm -hmm. where they have uh, uh, these uh, floating turbines, if you will, uh, on the North Sea 
that uh, are, are generated by the waves, and the waves move the turbines, and the turbines make electricity, and so on and so forth. And you want to talk about renewable? I mean, it's always oh, waves. And yeah, uh, exactly. And I think that that's that's the trend when you start looking at renewables is that we won't really have one major dominating source of, of energy. It's we've sort of grown up in an era where it's oil or it's gas or it's coal and everybody has the same system. Renewables are going to be idiosyncratic. You know, you're going to do solar in the Southwest. You're going to do wind where the wind blows. You're going to have geothermal where you have gas jets. You're going to do, you know, tidal technology on the coasts that would not work well in my home state of Kansas, but we <laughs> certainly are windy. Um, so we can exploit that. Well, tornadoes generate a lot of uh, turbulence. Really? I mean, if we could just harness a hurricane every so often, I mean, you yeah. know, I've seen it in the science fiction things. Why can't we do that? That's true. <laughs> and then there's always Star Trek. Exactly. You know, I mean, I'm personally a big advocate for the dilithium crystal. I think that's our future. <laughs> the uh, interesting part is I was just reading recently where – the tricorder that Dr. McCoy used to use on uh, Star Trek <laughs> is now in development by two separate competing companies. So exactly. technology is It is. And the part that's going to be added to it that wasn't with Star Trek is that the other aspect of the tricorder is it will automatically know how to bill your health insurance. Um, so, <laughs> you know. Uh, that would be wonderful because Nobody does know that. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. I, I'm I'm always waiting for you know someone at some point to reveal that you know Dr. McCoy really worked for Anthem. Um, but <laughs> and, and for those listeners, for those listeners who don't know who Dr. McCoy is, uh, <laughs> it used to be a program called Star Trek. It wasn't always a movie. Yes, exactly. At, at some point, you've probably figured out, good patient listeners, that, that, that you're dealing with a couple of fossils here, speaking of fossil fuel. Um, so it's like, for God's sake, I remember Star Trek and Sky King, you know, so I'm I'm really back there. Hey, let's not leave Captain Video and the Video Rangers out of this picture. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm not sure Tim knows who Captain Video was. No, I'll I'll pass on Captain Video. I'm just wondering, Chris, is the outlook for the economy, basically what we've been experiencing now since the recovery, and that is kind of slow plodding forward. We're not going to see Trump's 4% GDP and boom times. We'll be lucky if we just plot along at two point something. Yeah, I mean, that's the consensus view, is that we're in, it's been described by some as secular stagnation, you know, that we're just not in a position where we can see that, that boost in growth. We're not getting enough investment. We have challenges with labor, et cetera. The good news on the horizon, though, is that one of the reasons that we slowed is that everybody else in the world slowed, too. And one of the encouraging things that we can look forward to is that India is now beginning to see the growth that China used to have. And they may start becoming the growth engine for Asia. And China is catching up a little bit. 
we benefit greatly when those countries are also growing because we sell to them. We sell to countries that sell to them. And, and it's simply good news to have somebody else pulling the plow. You know, right now we're the only oxen pulling and we're getting tired. It would be nice if there were a couple of more up there on the oak. Let us not forget about Africa. Let's not forget about Africa and the Chinese financial investment in Africa. Mm-hmm. So they may wind up grabbing back whatever India is uh, benefiting from now. Uh, it's possible, but China has had a real difficult time uh, getting Africa where it wants it. The Africans don't like the Chinese much. There have been a whole series of African leaders giving speeches lately saying the Chinese are worse than the European colonialists. You know, they're just here to exploit us. They don't want to help train us. They don't want to do any of that stuff. One of the interesting things, and this is still pretty far into the future, the one country that most African states still want to do business with more than any other is us. They do not see the U.S. as a colonial power. They do not see us as an exploitative power. And every trade mission that comes to the U.S. from Africa, no matter where it is, is said, will you please come here? We don't like the Europeans. They were our colonial masters. We don't like the Chinese. They're not treating us well. We do love you. Would you come and exploit the opportunity? The challenge, of course, is that it's expensive. And, and a lot of American companies are like, yeah, I'd love to, but you know, the level of development is not yet where it needs to be, but it's getting there. I mean, this is a very young continent. They're leapfrogging technology. The majority of the Africans now bank on their phones. You know, it's just they don't even mess with the credit cards. They've gone past it. And so there's opportunities there. You know, it's going to be hit and miss. It's going to be certain countries more than others. But you're absolutely right. It may be the future 10, 15, 20 years out. Right, right. I won't have to worry about it. That's right. I may retire by that. You may do more of that treadmill and live forever, you know what I mean? So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was working on my treadmill. I was trying to get my Fitbit chart. <laughs> exactly. I was just using one foot. It's kind of uh, breaking into it here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. E- ease into it. Ease into it. That's right. Well, Chris, we appreciate having you on Manufacturing Talk Radio and your insights on the economy. Uh, any parting words you care to share with our audience before we wrap no, up this I mean, segment? It's kind of like the last couple of times we've talked. We're looking at a year that's going to be okay. It's not going to be spectacular, but it's not going to be something that will leave us crying in our beer at the end. It's it's kind of a year where we can do some expansion. Uh, there's going to be a certain amount of good news. We just have to temper our expectations a little bit, as we always do, and respond more to reality than to hope. So we'll see, but I'm, I'm expecting a pretty decent year of everything is said and done. Well, on that happy note, why don't you give us your URL address so our listeners can uh, take a peek at uh, what you do when you're not playing the comic role. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, it probably shows up in our URL, too. It is www.armada-intel.com. So that's A-R-M-A-D-A-Intel, I-N-T-E-L.com 
So, you know, not to be mistaken for the Spanish Armada, which always brings up the joke as to why the Spanish have glass bottom boats so they can see the old Spanish Navy. So. <laughs> well, on, on that well, comedic role. <laughs> thank you, gentlemen. We'll, we'll start you in a month. And, uh, thank, thank you, guys. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we've been speaking with Chris Keel, who is uh, a partner with Armada Corporate Intelligence and The Economist for the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International. And we'll be right back with Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're here with Roy Slow, who is our Senior International Correspondent for the U.K. and the E.U., Always excited to have Royce on the show. He's one of our favorite senior international correspondents. Royce, welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you very much, Tim. Good to be here. So um, all kinds of things happening in the U.K. and the EU. Uh, what is, uh, let's, let's start with the, the U.K. How's manufacturing doing in the U.K., and how does it look? We always hear all this talk about uh, Brexit. Uh, May, whether she's in, whether she's out. What's what's happening from your perspective, Royce? Well, from uh, from the perspective of manufacturing, uh, it uh, in in the month of uh, last month in the month of May, uh, the PMI was at 56.7, and uh, effectively still doing pretty well. Uh, there was a the market, uh, the domestic market was strong. Uh, there was a solid increase in exports. This could be due in part, of course, to the uh, to weak sterling, uh, as we've been we've been experiencing that for some months now. And uh, all three goods categories: uh, consumer, intermediate, and investment were were, were strong in the UK. Uh, there is there is talk. I mean, we, it's you know we, we we try not to not to politicise things too much, but I think. What's happened in the last uh, in the last few weeks, both in the UK and France, uh, I don't think we can uh, we can really talk too much about it without politicising it. Because um, the the woman, uh, if, if if I may, uh, the woman called an election, uh, figuring she'd get a stronger mandate to go and um, to go and uh, negotiate Brexit. Brexit negotiations start today, incidentally. And uh, she uh, she messed up, you know. She, uh, as, as to paraphrase the Dickens, she said, "It's a far far more stupid thing that I do than I have ever done." And, and that's basically what what happened. But right at the moment, people are saying that uh, that the uh, that the manufacturing sector uh, will continue at least for the foreseeable future. Um, as uh, as it has been doing of late. Uh, on the other hand, uh, people are saying that if they uh, if if they start negotiating and things look bad and uh, they they come up with the, what they call the, the the hard Brexit, then the the gross domestic product of the UK could um, could go down by about two and a half percent. Uh, which means there'll be less uh, less jobs, less this, less that, and uh, the, the country will will suffer. Uh, I think, quite frankly, I think the country is suffering right at the moment. I think it's in a bit of a mess. But uh, we shall we shall have to wait and see exactly from the manufacturing viewpoint what what happens uh, what happens in uh, in 
June, what happens in July, what happens in August, etc. So it's uh, it's watch this space again. Yeah. But Germany's still cranking along well. Germany? Well, yeah. Germany is. Uh, Germany is the, uh, the workhorse of Europe. Germany's uh, uh, got a PMI of 59.5. It's a 73-month high. It's got a, I think it's, it's last time I looked, its unemployment rate was, was below 4%. I think it was 3.9% or something. And uh, Germany's doing what Germany does best. And uh, it's making stuff and it's selling it. And um, it's it's uh, it, it's a pity that um, it's a pity that people that, that other countries don't uh, don't take what Germany does and uh, and do it themselves because they, you know I don't think Germany has a patent on on what they do. I think it's just really a question of being nice to them and speaking nicely to them and saying, uh, can you show us what to do? But um, Germany, uh, of course, now there's going to be a, a, a big friendship between uh, Angela Merkel, who is pretty much a showing for the uh, September election, uh, and uh, Emmanuel Macron. Uh, this man, he's, um, he's, a, he's a new face in the world. Uh, he's the guy that uh, everywhere he goes in France these days, they... They mentioned the fact that he squeezed um, Trump's hand uh, <laughs> very, <laughs> very solidly. And uh, this is a man who, uh, as, as we all know, has no basically uh, very little experience of, uh, of, of doing what he's, what he's doing. Uh, he, he's a banker. Uh, he worked for the Rothschilds. Uh, he's, uh, he's a businessman. He's, he's, he's calling people all over the world. If you want to come and work in, in technical, in, in manufacturing, in this, in that, come to France. Uh, he has good ideas. He wants to cut corporate tax. He wants to cut public spending. Uh, he, he's going to have to. Uh, he's going to have to fight the unions. Uh, Etc. But uh, I, I don't think that the unions will be as strong as they as they were. So if you put France and Germany together, it's it's essential for Europe to have a good uh, to, to have for France and Germany to get along well together. And uh, I don't think there's much doubt that um, that Macron and, and Merkel will uh, will get along. Well, be careful about what you talk about when you talk about shoe-ins, because we had a shoe-in in our last election, and we wound up with the quote-unquote business plans. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, but this man is a, uh, I think this man is a genuine um, uh, character. I, I, I don't think there's any there's any way that we can compare this man with what, uh, with, with sorry, with with who you've got. Um, yeah, I, uh, and you know the amazing thing is that uh, that that, he, that they just had elections for the for the parliament, and uh, he's gonna uh, he's he's gonna get over almost 400 seats out of the 577 available. So apart from being president. Uh, he's, he's, he's got a big majority in, in Parliament, too, so uh, he, he'll be able to get a lot of stuff done. I don't think there's much doubt about that. Uh, it's, it's, it's hardly the same system, <laughs> but anyway. Hardly. Yeah, hardly, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Ezra, is there one of the soft spots, Royce, in uh, 
the EU in terms of manufacturing. I know Greece always suffers because they have almost no manufacturing there. Right. Who else is caught in that sticky wicket? Well, uh, right, right at this time, uh, I would say that the two, the the the, the two countries out of the big, uh, the big eight that uh, that might be a little bit sticky wicket are, are Italy and uh, and Spain. But I was just reading yesterday that uh, Spain's uh, Spain's coming along. Uh, uh, like dambusters these days. Uh, obviously, when they say like dambusters, that, that there are always areas in any country that uh, that aren't doing as well as others. But uh, Greece, yeah, I mean, as you say, Greece is it, it doesn't have anything to export. It, uh, it, it just waits for people to go and visit it, and an awful lot of people do. Um, and I mean, the Netherlands is strong, Austria is strong, uh, Ireland's pretty strong, uh, France is uh, France sort of slid back a little bit uh, last month, but um, there again, uh, one will have to wait and see. One, uh, I think France is optimistic now that, uh, that uh, things, will, things will improve. Uh, from, uh, I mean, France went through a, a sticky period for a, for a year or so, more there, and uh, it's just come back of, of late. You know, we don't uh, talk much about the... Uh, we, we don't talk much about the former Soviet uh, republics, uh, you know, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Romania, Bulgaria, all those countries, uh, Slovaks. What's happening yeah. in, in Eastern Europe? Are they strong? Or is their manufacturing doing well? Is their PMI doing well? The, the manufacturing is doing doing well. In uh, if you look at uh, particularly if you look at Czechos, uh, if you look at the uh, the the Czech Republic, for example, and uh, Romania and Bulgaria, but they're, you know, there again they're starting from a pretty low base, but they are they are coming along, and I think I think what's going to happen, I think I think that everybody is 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 going to benefit from um, from what's happening in uh, in what we used to call what what we still call uh, Western Europe. Uh, the, the recovery from the recession in uh, in Europe is at a much earlier stage than it is in, say, the the U.S. Uh, there's, and so there's more sort of pent up consumer demand to uh, to accommodate and, and more spare capacity in businesses to meet it. Uh, plus, of course, they've got a big, a much bigger unemployment rate than uh, than uh, than the U.S. So it's. The, the 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 whole area is gonna is gonna benefit from from what's happening, and and the the, the confidence the business confidence in Europe uh, at this time uh, is is at a it's like a ten year high, you know. So uh, things look good uh, all over really. You know, I, I I don't think there's any country you can point at at the moment and say they're in the dumps. No, that's, that's encouraging. Um, mm-hmm. That's you know we're seeing some nice recovery finally in the United States, although we're seeing it being uh, one small step for man, not one giant leap for mankind. So right. I'm not sure that we're going to see that. You know, the old heady days where you went like crazy for five, six, seven years, and then you dropped into a recession, and you recovered, and you. 
and mm-hmm. boom years and bust years. I think we're just mm-hmm. kind of uh, rolling along. Is that similar in Europe? Well, uh, right at this moment, it's uh, it, the, the 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 atmosphere and the feeling is that it's doing more than just rolling along. Uh, the 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 feeling is that it's uh, that it's. If I, if I maybe I shouldn't use the word that it's accelerating, it's 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 coming out of its shell. It's it's, it's looking good. It uh, it's it's going to carry on for a while. All that stuff. I think it's more than just rolling along. I mean, it was rolling along. It was rolling along for the last couple of years, but now it's uh, it's taking off. There's no there's, there's no well, that's doubt that. Encouraging. As of this moment, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's encouraging because it's one of our uh, largest trading partners, certainly. Um, certainly. Now, oddly enough, and I, and I don't know the answer for this, you may. Is it am I correct that Switzerland is not part of the EU? No, Switzerland isn't part of the EU. No, it's it's part of uh, it's part of uh, EFTA, which is the European Free Trading Association. It, it, it can trade with it can trade with the with the EU, but it, of course it doesn't it doesn't have all the uh, benefits, for want of a better word, than um, the, the the rest of the countries. Uh, the rest of the countries do that. The whole thing is is um, is is somewhat complicated, and uh, it's, this is going to play a big part in the in the negotiations that are going to go on between the EU and and the UK. I mean, the, the EU have got uh, they've got 27 countries all lined up with the ducks in a row, uh, and, and they're going to be negotiating with a well, you might call it a lame duck because they just. You know, they just basically lost the majority in Parliament, and it's a question of who's going to negotiate and what are they going to what are they going to negotiate for, and uh, what what do they expect to come out with? Uh, they're going to be doing this every every month for the next couple of years, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be something that um, it's definitely going to be something to watch on a on a regular basis because uh, what what comes out of there will. Uh, Will to, will, to my mind, anyway, determine what uh, what we see in a couple of years from now when uh, when the UK exits, and uh, uh, it'll be interesting, of course, to see what happens to the manufacturing uh, while all these negotiations are going on. We just don't know at the moment. We just don't know. But now, Switzerland, of course, is uh, is is one of those countries. It's got about. Uh, seven, seven or eight million people. I, I've never been. Uh, I must go in the next couple of years. I've never been, but I understand it's clean. It runs like uh, it runs like the old Swiss clock, and uh, they do this and do that. And when they decide to do something, it comes in on budget and on time. And <laughs> um, but apparently the uh, sorry. <laughs> It's almost an American. <laughs> well, it's on it's on most countries actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's you know just from a labor standpoint, uh, you know we are in this country at the moment looking at how do we uh, hold back uh, immigrant labor coming in from north, south, east, and west. Uh, mm-hmm. we, the business people are concerned about because we have a skills gap shortage in the United States getting worse by the day. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. What's happening in labor now? I know, excuse me, the, the uh, 
Uh, Brexit, uh, not Brexit, uh, the EU allows free movement between countries and employers. Right. And, uh, you don't yeah. have those issues. Uh, How is that going to work out? I mean, I think that's a big concern for labor right now in the U.K., is it not? Is the, the citizens from well, the yeah, EU it, sitting there it, wondering it what's going to uh, What I hear is that there are the, the people, people are leaving the U.K., uh, there are many, there are uh, fewer people applying to work in the UK. Uh, people are complaining that they don't, uh, that they're not treated well in the UK. And uh, really, uh, the, the the NHS, which of course is by far the, uh, is I think it's one of the world's biggest employers, uh, depends an awful lot on um, on uh, immigrate immigrants. Yeah, people people come from India and Pakistan and uh, and and they they're a part of the NHS. More important, well, not more importantly, I shouldn't say that at all. But um, in the same vein, the hospitality industry is uh, is very very dependent on immigrants. I mean, can you imagine coming to London and being served and, and cooked for by Brits? It just doesn't work. You know, they have to have the, they have to have the French and the Italians and everybody. I mean, Brits, Brits, uh, regardless of the fact that they have uh, baking shows on PBS and all the rest of it, they don't know how to cook generally. And uh, it's 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 a fact that uh, if if you go into a restaurant and you're served by somebody that speaks English the way English people do, you can you can look forward to not having a very comfortable experience. And uh, I'm 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 not saying this from any uh, you know you know I'm, I'm not trying to be funny. Here. It's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, all these people, all, all these jobs have to be filled by uh, by immigrants. And, and if, if the people don't feel welcome, uh, that, 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 they're going to leave. And then what? You know, so that's so we, what... We have, that's, sim- we have a similar sorry? situation here. In, we have a similar situation here in the U.S. Can you imagine uh-huh. an American going out and picking corn? I don't think exactly. that would happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. I was reading recently about the the crisis in the tool and die business in the in the automotive industry, uh, for example. That uh, they, they, they could use people who were willing to come in and and learn all learn all that sort of thing. It's uh, it is critical. I think it's I think it's critical everywhere, really. But uh, yes, I understand where you're coming from, Louis. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't lay that one at Trump's feet. I'd lay that one at Congress's feet, who's been talking about a path to citizenship into the U.S. for decades and done nothing. And unfortunately, now we're exporting, chasing out of the country, good people who have done no harm, who've contributed. California's got a massive problem in their agriculture industry. They can't get their crops picked. And if you ask a, uh, an Anglo yeah. person to go in and pick grapefruit or something else, it's not right. going to happen. So, well, yeah, well, that's the same thing the in the U.K. Uh, yeah, picking hops and picking apples, and uh, it's the same thing here uh, in the U.K. Yeah. I say bring back the chain gang. <laughs> <laughs> well... My prison labor is on one is one of our subjects we're hot on. Being a bad thing, by the way. 
Well, Royce, we appreciate your update on uh, both the EU and uh, the UK. We're watching with great interest uh, what's going to happen with Brexit. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. these kinds of events create great uncertainty, and manufacturers and consumers don't like uncertainty, and it tends no. to bog the whole thing down. That's for sure, and we'll see. We'll see how to what extent uh, in the next few months. I'm sure next few months to a year uh, will give us a pretty good idea of, of, of just what is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Clearly. Well, thank you for joining us again on Manufacturing Talk Radio. A pleasure. A la prochaine. Bye. Talk to you soon. <laughs> And we've been speaking with Royce Lowe, our senior international correspondent who covers the EU and the UK. Royce has interesting insights uh, on what's happening in that part of the world. Okay, folks, I just want to remind you about next week's show uh, with Jerry Flum and Peter Roma from Credit Risk Managers, a, their leading financial analysis and information firm. And I don't mean to scare you because I mentioned it also at the beginning of today's show. Uh, they have an incredible and believable story about the next financial bubble that's coming our way. And it's really an incredible story. I strongly suggest that if you have a, have a bank account and you have money in your bank account, you ought to listen to this story. Tim? Yes, by the way, you're, you haven't heard much about this on mainstream media. There's been a couple of lips and that's it on the radar so we're going to do a very in-depth conversation with these gentlemen i think it'll come as quite a a shock to many that being said keep in mind that we have a show tomorrow with norbert Orr and chong wang our international correspondents and we will be speaking with them in depth about what's happening with manufacturing in asia and also the purchasing managers index and norbert Orr drops a golden nugget during that show you can't possibly miss. So you really need to tune in for that one. That being said, all our shows are posted at msgtalkradio.com. Come and visit us anytime. We look forward to having you visit us and listen to the shows and read our news stories. And thanks for listening today. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at msgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.